Before I read the second scripture reading, I'd like to just do a a brief introduction of myself and of Sedepka. First of all, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Much uh, love and and great warmth from the staff of Sedepka in Guatemala, especially Judith Castaneda, Nelly Miranda, Emerson Morales. Some of these people have been here and been in your congregation, possibly Betty Carrera also, I'm not sure. All of them asked me to please bring their warmest regards, their warmest greetings to all of you. I also want to thank you as a mission co-worker of the Presbyterian Church USA because you are a congregation that contributes to my sending and support. You have done that for the past three years. And if I am renewed for another assignment, I'm literally waiting in the next few weeks to receive the word on that decision then I would hope that you would be willing to continue that, that sending and support. Um, it's very important for all of us as mission coworkers to receive supports from both congregations and individuals to make it possible to be out working in the field. And by contributing to our sending and support, you truly are along, there alongside of us. You are there as partners with us in God's mission in the world. You may not be able to get on a plane and travel somewhere, but you also are being a part of God's work, both with the Guatemalan people and also in your own congregation. And for that, I give many thanks. A little context for this passage from the Gospel of Mark, which can also be found in Luke as well. Jesus has been preaching the gospel, teaching and healing people. He's being try- has been trying to prepare his disciples for the time when he will no longer be with them because he already knows what is going to happen as, they, as he ministers around the Lake of Galilee. But he continually runs up against the frustration of having disciples that don't seem to quite get it. It seems almost that every time he does something or gives them a teaching, they they ask a question that shows that it just went right over their heads. And so he's struggling with this of the 12 chosen ones, and they're still not capturing the message. They're still not getting it. I'm sure that some of you have had similar experiences with students or colleagues in your work, and you know that, that deep sense of frustration of trying to be able to pass on what you're doing so that others can carry it on and knowing that somehow the connection is just not yet being made. Along with that, his cousin, John the Baptist, who prepared the way for him to come and who actually baptized him in the River Jordan as we've witnessed a baptism this morning, John the Baptist has fallen into trouble with King Herod because Uh, John not only preached and prepared the way for Jesus, but John also critiqued Herod's actions when he saw them as not being morally and ethically uh, favorable. And so at this point, John has been put into prison, and uh, not only imprisoned, but uh, one of the reasons that he's in prison is because he critiqued Herod for having married his brother's wife and committed adultery. And... In a celebration, Herod, Herod's wife's daughter does a dance, and he offers her anything she wants. And her mother tells him, her to ask for Herod's head, excuse me, for John the Baptist's head on a platter. 
and Herod has given his word. So the upshot is that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who was imprisoned for speaking out against the powers that be, has now literally been executed, has been beheaded. And it sends a very clear message, a clear warning to Jesus. If you continue to do the kind of work and ministry that you're doing, and you continue to challenge the religious and power structures of this day, the same fate can befall you. So on the one hand, he's got these dense disciples that are just not getting with the program. And on the other hand, he's receiving death threats from the king. And as any of us in, in any kind of profession, but especially professions that, that serve and minister to the needs of others, Jesus needs a mental health break. And so Jesus makes the decision to leave the Lake of Galilee, and he goes pretty much as far away as he can go. If I could project a map, you'd see the, the Sea of Galilee, and then he goes way out to the shore of the Mediterranean, up the coast a bit, to an area called Tyre. And it's actually in the area called Syrophoenicia. He's not, in fact, in the area that is Israel. So sometimes this passage is talked about in terms of this woman being a foreigner, but in fact, Jesus was the foreigner in this story. He was uh, in somebody else's territory. Hear this reading from, from God's word for us today. Jesus left that place, the Sea of Galilee, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. May God bless to our understanding the reading of God's word for us today. As I said in the introduction, Jesus was burned out. Jesus was fed up with his uh, disciples that couldn't get it. He was... He was probably a bit scared and um, having second thoughts because of receiving death threats from King Herod. 
and he needed, he needed to get away. As we know, he often went away to a mountain or some lonely place to pray alone. And he probably thought, if I get really far away, nobody will even know I'm there. But somehow, someone knew, someone who really needed him, and he didn't get the break that he needed. Now, the question you might be asking is, what in the world does this text have to do with God's mission in the world? What in the world does this text have to do with some mission worker from Guatemala and, uh, and, a, and a message about the work that she is involved in? Why would I ch- choose this text to talk about mission work? Because, in fact, it's probably not only not a model of how to do mission work, it might be the worst example in the entire four Gospels of Jesus' behavior. He's, down, he's not only politically incorrect in his response to her, but he's downright rude and offensive. Now you have to understand the context. We live in the United States where dogs have a special place in most of our lives. Dogs live in our homes Dogs sometimes sleep in our beds. They have a special bed for themselves, but often they end up in our beds. They, we buy special food for them. We don't give them the scraps from the table. They have their own special food. We take them to groomers and spas. And so it's really hard from the perspective of the United States to read this text and get what, what's the problem if Jesus talks about the dogs under the table eating the children's crumbs. If you can possibly imagine, think about most of the rest of the world where the dogs don't have that place in in people's lives. They live outside the house. They're dirty. They carry diseases. If they do get anything to eat, and often they're pretty scrawny and mangy and scraggly, they get literally the scraps and the crumbs. And if somebody is mad or wanting to take out some frustration, the dog is often the one to get the brunt of that, to be kicked, to have rocks thrown at it, to be yelled at. The dog is not uh, a creature that has any place of respect or honor in society. And to call someone a dog in some societies is about the worst possible insult. One time in El Salvador, I referred to my Salvadoran nephew as uh, he was like a little puppy biting at my heels, and my sisters-in-law wouldn't speak to me for months because I had offended them by calling their, their little boy a dog. And so I learned very much the hard way that um, this is not the kind of thing that you want to, to be uh, associating with a human being. <clears throat> so Jesus is basically saying God's message came for the chosen people of Israel, and those are the children in his phrase. And uh, so what came for the children should not be tossed to the dogs. The interesting thing about this passage is that um, I don't believe that it's about modeling ourselves after Jesus' behavior. It's about looking at how this woman preached the gospel to Jesus in this moment. <clears throat> she, she could have been uh, humiliated, and she might have felt humiliated. She could have uh, just you know, hung her head in shame and, and s- snuck away again, but she had come to him because she was a mother with a very ill child, and she was desperate. And any of you who have ever cared for a child, whether that be your own or a nephew or a niece or the child of a neighbor, someone you care about, you'd probably go to great, great lengths and do just about anything 
to help that child if that child were suffering. And this woman has nothing else to lose, really. Uh, So she basically says, okay, Jesus, I'll play your game. You can insult me. You can call us dogs. But here's her response. And she doesn't insult him back. She just takes that line and runs with it. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You may think that we're outside of the realm of God's grace, that we're not the special chosen ones, but even we that are on the fringes have access to God's love too. She preaches that to Jesus. In his moment of being burned out, in his moment of needing a break from all that was surrounding him, she called him to remember who he was and why he was there. And he says to her, he doesn't even talk about her faith. He just says, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. He wasn't involved in the healing. He knew already that God was with her and God was part of that healing. And she went home and she found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. What was it? What was it that motivated her? That desperation, perhaps? That, but somehow that knowledge that God is bigger than, than the boundaries and the fences that we try to put around God's love and God's grace. Think of all the times and all the places in our world where we try to limit and say, no, God is only for these people. God is not for those people. And yet she was able to see and understand and believe that God's grace is big enough for all of us, no matter what we look like, no matter where we come from, no matter what our political or spiritual or sexual orientation might be, God is there for all of us. There's room for all of us in God's, in God's reign. There's room for all of us at God's table. So Jesus kind of wakes up. She, in a sense, she opens his eyes again, and she opens his ears again. And some, some readers of this text believe that this next passage about him healing the man who was deaf and mute, is more a reflection of what she did for him, uh, that she helped him, again, to have eyes that see and ears that hear, something that he's always calling his disciples to have and he's always calling us to have. It doesn't say that he stayed there having his spiritual retreat or his self health, mental health self-care day. He went on to Sidon and then back down to the Sea of Galilee. The place he he had just left and tried to get away from, tried to flee from, he returns back to the fray, so to speak. He continues to work with his dense disciples, trying to get through to them, trying to teach them. He goes back to where the death threats and the persecution are. He goes back on his road towards Jerusalem, towards his own crucifixion. What does all of this have to do, and what do the midwives have to do with, with, this, with this text and with this message? For me, the midwives, the Hebrew midwives who refused to obey Pharaoh and refused to kill the baby boys that were born, are similar to this woman. They, they see the bigger picture. They understand that God is on the side of life, and they're willing to defend that life at all costs. And for me, they represent... Many of the women that I know and, and ha- have the privilege to work with in Guatemala, women who live in communities 
where the water is being contaminated by a company that has a large plantation and is processing the sugar cane and all of the the um, desechos, I can't think of the English word right now, the, all of the byproducts of the sugar cane are being dumped into the water sources. Women who live in an area where there's a mine that is putting arsenic and cyanide into the water as it processes to, to extract the ore from the earth. Women who are trying to eke out an existence and provide life for their children, and not only their children, but make sure that there's still land and vegetation and an environment for their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Women who are willing to go the extra mile and to resist the, the powers of the day in order to try to defend and support life in their communities, willing to be accused of crimes they didn't commit, willing to be arrested and sent to jail, willing to, to tolerate uh, isolation and accusations and alienation by people in their community because they're standing up for what's right, they're standing up for life, they're wanting to defend life for their children. Those are women like the Hebrew women in Exodus, and like this Syrophoenician women who Jesus encountered, who often, rather than being the ones who are the recipient of our attempts to share God's mission with them, are the ones, at least in my case, who share God's mission with me, who teach me about God's gospel and the hugeness and the abundance of God's love and grace. That's, it's available to all people, regardless of socioeconomic status or race or location in the world regardless of whether someone has migrated or not, that God is there for all of us and God is willing to empower us when we are willing to work for life and for justice in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. God is in people, not just women, but also men. And there's the story of this man who has his hearing returned to him. I had an opportunity to spend some time with a community that's involved in resistance to a mine in its community, and there were different shifts of men from another, another uh, community a couple of mm, four or five hours away who would come and spend a 24-hour shift to support the local group called La Puya. And I was talking to Don Sebastian, and I asked him, what is it that makes you come do this? Leave your farm and your family for two days in order to come into the city and support this group? What is it that makes you be willing to risk having the security guards or the soldiers shoot at you because you're trying to protect your land and resist the mine in your own community? What keeps you going in all of that? And he said, I am a Christian. I am a Catholic. And God's Word says to us in, in Genesis 2.15 that we are called to care for and tend to the earth. We are called to be stewards of the earth. And I am trying to be a steward of God's creation. I am trying to protect God's creation. Simple words from a simple man who probably has a third grade education reminded me of what's really important, that God has called all of us. God created this amazing world, this amazing creation, and put us in that garden on this earth to tend it and care for it. We are called to be stewards of that. It is Guatemalans that remind me of these, these messages and these gifts and these, this calling from God. It is a tremendous opportunity to be in Sedepka, 
to be in Guatemala, to be working with, with Guatemalans who are struggling to bring about changes in their country, to bring life to their country, to, to work for peace and justice in small and large ways, to find ways to not just give material assistance to someone, but to give them hope for their own lives and the lives of their community, to give them empowerment so that they can, they can empower and, uh, and come alongside other people in their communities. All of these are different ways in which God is at work in Guatemala and ways that I think that uh, can teach, teach us about what is really important in God's gospel. These are, these are what I'm calling in the title of my sermon, yeah, Inside Views from Some Outsiders. We might consider that Syrophoenician woman an outsider, but she really knew what was important, just like Don Sebastian and like the midwives. It's, it's important to know that God is calling us to be stewards of creation. God is calling us to love all of our neighbors, whether we like them or not to still love them, to seek justice and equity and peace for them. May God give us the courage and the wisdom to perceive in the places around us, in our community, in our midst, and in other parts of the world with which, which we relate, how God wants us to be involved as caretakers of God's creation, as caretakers and sisters and brothers of one another, sharing God's love and God's grace. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may all of the thoughts that have been generated in the reflection on these texts be acceptable in your sight, and may you help us to, to struggle with and to understand how it is that you are calling us to be engaged in your world, sharing your love with our brothers and sisters. Amen.